Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Last night, I was on an airplane flying back from North Carolina. I was coming out of RDU, and there was a guy who they moved to the aisle right next to me on the way out the airplane. Now, I had a really crazy busy week. It was late yesterday, and to be honest with you, I was way behind with this sermon. So I had done some work, but I had planned to pull out my laptop as soon as the airplane took off, and I was going to try to work on this sermon, and the uh, flight attendant sat this guy on the aisle right across from me, and the guy looked at me and said, Jeff Struker? And I hung my head and like, oh no, whatever it was, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, and sure enough, we started talking and literally didn't stop until the airplane landed. Apparently, I put this guy through the Ranger indoctrination program. Not the start of a great conversation. But after that, then he started talking about his military career, just retired from the Army, a guy who did the best Ranger competition and won it a couple of times. And now he's married and he's got young children. And he said, Jeff, I've been watching you. And I was thinking, here it comes. And he said, actually, I've been trying to learn what it looks like to be a man of God and a warrior and a husband and a father. And I've been watching you a lot. And we started talking about his family. He just beamed as he talked about his six-year-old and seven-year-old daughters and how his life is radically different now as a dad. And basically, he started asking some questions, some questions about how do you do this thing, being a good father and trying to meet all of these responsibilities. Every parent in this room knows the questions that he's asking. And before it was over with, we had the opportunity to have a deep conversation about eternity and about his soul. And when I was driving home, I was thinking, I have a ton of work to do on this sermon. But God, thank you for giving me a conversation with this guy because it was a beautiful conversation where I was able to loan my faith to him just a little bit. If that phrase, loaning my faith, sounds a little bit weird for you, I want to explain to you what you're going to hear from the Bible today. I'm convinced All Christians all over the planet start out with a borrowed faith. Unless you live in one of these extremely hard-to-reach, underdeveloped places that has no gospel influence whatsoever, and I have heard the firsthand accounts of where Jesus showed up in person and introduced himself to somebody, and their life was radically changed, and they were born again so that they could become the first gospel witness in their village, with the exception of that Very, very rare occasion, all of us in this room have borrowed somebody else's faith. It all starts out that way. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with a borrowed faith. It's a beautiful first step. It's the way that it should start for all of us in this room. But I want you to know from the Bible that you can't stay there. You can't survive on borrowed faith alone. It's great that you are borrowing somebody else's faith and asking advice and considering what somebody else is telling you. That's the perfect place to start, but you cannot stay there. And here's why. Because borrowed faith really 
can't sustain you when life punches you in the face. Borrowed faith is not going to get you over some of the greatest heartbreaks that you're going to go through. Borrowed faith can't get you through those dashed dreams and those disappointments. Borrowed faith will not get you through the longings that your soul has. It's the perfect place to start, but it can't stay there. And what we see in the Bible today is the beautiful description of a guy who's going to borrow Abraham's faith. And then the Bible just walks us through this man starting to believe what Abraham believes. This is the longest chapter in the Bible. We're going to break this passage up into two weeks. This is a part one of a two-part sermon series inside a sermon series about the moment where God sends his servant out to go find a spouse for Isaac. Now, if this is your first week with us, We've been studying as a church through the Bible book of Genesis, and today we're in Genesis 24. We're going to tackle almost 50 verses of the Bible today. You heard that right, 5-0, not 1-5. And we're going to see how this servant borrows Abraham's faith until it becomes his own faith. So here's how the natural journey of faith works for almost all of us on planet Earth. We all start out with borrowed faith. And I've said it about five times now, so most of you in this room should be asking the question, what exactly do you mean by this phrase, borrowed faith, Jeff? I don't know that I coined this phrase, probably been used a whole lot other times, but for me, borrowed faith means you're talking to somebody that you trust, and they start to tell you a set of facts that they believe in. Everybody in this room has talked to somebody who's heard some facts from somebody. And at the borrowed faith part of it, you're not necessarily trusting in the facts that they're telling you. You're trusting in the person that's telling you the facts. Like, not sure I totally believe what you're saying to me right now, but I believe you and I believe you believe this. So I'm willing to check out what you're telling me right now but I'm still not quite sure. Does everybody in the room now see the distinction, what borrowed faith is? You're not believing the pers- what the person believes. You're believing in the person. That's the start. That's what happens with Abraham's servant. Because Abraham asks him to do something weird. It's actually a little bit gross, but it's really, really important. And here's how it starts. Genesis 24, verse 1. Abraham was now old getting on in years, and the Lord had blessed him in everything. I'm just going to go ahead and read from the Bible, cause, or read from my notes, because we got so much scripture to cover, and it goes like this. Abraham said to his servant, the elder of his household who managed all that he had, meaning this was Abraham's number two guy, place your hand under my thigh, And I will have you swear by the Lord, God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live. But you will go to my land and to my family to take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, suppose the woman is unwilling to follow me to the land, to this land. Should I have your son go back to the land you came from? And Abraham answered, no. Actually, I just threw that in there. Abraham said, make sure that you don't take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, 
And from my native land, who spoke to me and swore to me, I give this land to your offspring, he will send his angel before you. And you can take a wife from my son from there. If the woman's unwilling to follow you, then you're free from this oath to follow me. But don't let my son go back there. And here it is. So the servant placed his hand under his master Abraham's thigh, and he swore an oath to him concerning this matter. We don't know a whole lot about this servant. It's, it's a really unusual, really awkward start to this whole discussion of borrowed faith today. We do know that this was perhaps the number two guy in Abraham's household because this servant has responsibility for everything. And Abraham has a lot on the line right now. So he's going to take his most trusted servant and he's going to give the servant his most important task or his most important responsibility. I need you to go find a wife for my son. And what I want to ask the Bible at the beginning of Genesis 24 is, does this man believe in God the way that Abraham believes in God? Just from what we've heard, what would you say is your answer to that question out loud? No. Because Abraham is absolutely convinced, if you go back to my family's land, God is going to go ahead of you. God is going to prepare the way for you. God is going to make you successful. You don't even have to worry about how this thing turns out. And he's saying, wait a second, Abraham, what if I go? What if I do everything you ask me to do? What if God doesn't make me successful? And what this servant is actually doing at this point is he's borrowing Abraham's faith a little bit. Now, Abraham asks him to do something that is extremely rare in the Bible. And in our day and age, it's very weird. The language is, place your hand under my thigh. It literally says, I want you to put your hand on my genitals. Listen to this. It's not funny. My future is in your hands. My family is in your hands. If you fail, I have no future. So you place your hand in this very weird, very uncomfortable position, and it's not where you put your hand that makes this a binding oath. Now, you swear to the God of heaven and earth that you will go do what I ask you to do. And if you go do all of this, and Abraham already knows the answer in the back of his mind anyway, because God is making this very clear to Abraham, if you go do all of this and she still won't come back with you, then you're free from the vow that you're making to me. But I need you to understand something, servant. You have my entire family and my entire future at stake. And just to make sure that we all get how big of a deal this is, Abraham has already sent Ishmael away. I only have Isaac left. And if Isaac doesn't have a baby, if Isaac doesn't get married, then Isaac doesn't have a baby. If Isaac doesn't have a baby, then I don't have a family. And by the way, because you're my number two guy, everything that I own is going to you. So I'm trusting you with everything that I own. My entire future is in your hands. Will you pack up everything and will you go off to my father's land or to my, my family land and will you go on this journey of faith? And this beautiful, bold servant says, I'll go, 
but I'm still not con- entirely convinced that it's all going to work out in our, in our favor in the end. Like, what happens if I don't even find somebody? What happens if I find somebody and she's not willing to go? And all of us in this room have borrowed faith at some point. For some of you, it was a preacher in church who started to tell you a set of facts. And you had to ask yourself the question, do I really believe this guy is trustworthy enough? For others of you, it was parents who started to tell you, this is who we believe in and this is why we believe it. And when you were a child, it was entirely appropriate, very natural for you to accept what mama and daddy said because I know mama and daddy love me and I trust mama and daddy. And that's mama and daddy's faith. The problem is that's not your faith right now. For others of you, it was somebody at school, it was somebody at work, they cared enough about you, do they sit down and just to start to have a conversation with you about what you believe, and they started to lay out before you, this is what I believe, and this is what I believe it. And borrowed faith starts with, I don't even know if I accept those facts, but I know I trust you, and I know you trust those facts, so I'm at least willing to investigate the facts. And that's how our faith starts. Problem is, many, many people, it stays there. It stays there their entire life. And what I'm trying to argue today is that kind of faith is not really faith at all. That's somebody else's faith, and that kind of faith won't get you through the really tough moments, the really difficult moments in life. What we challenged you to do last week, if you were with us for Vision Sunday, is we asked you, Two Cities Church, will you go be men and women with beautiful feet? I didn't use beautiful feet language last week. But Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, literally describe what this journey of faith looks like when it starts out with borrowed faith. Here's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then can they call on God who they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear about him without a preacher, without somebody to tell them? And how can they preach unless somebody sends them? And then the Bible says this in verse 15, and this is the challenge for all of Two Cities Church in 2024. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news because when you start to unpack it and do the math and reverse engineer it, they're not going to believe unless somebody, unless they hear, and they won't hear unless somebody tells them, and they won't tell them unless somebody's sent. And what the Bible is saying, and don't get hung up on the word preach, is when you say it and when you show it, you are being God's vessel in somebody else's life. And they always start out by borrowing your faith. That's a beautiful thing. And it should start there. But it cannot, it must not stop there. You see, next becomes the moment where you have to take a step. And if it's really faith, it cannot be entirely, uh, you cannot know entirely what's going to happen next. It is always a step into the darkness. Next comes this step of faith. And you see this servant of Abraham take this step of faith. Basically, he starts off from Abraham's uh, 
village saying, I don't know if I really believe the God that Abraham believes in, but I know Abraham believes it. I've heard him pray. I've watched him live out his faith in front of me long enough that I'm packing the camels and I'm going on a long journey. And this is when the servant starts to decide, do I believe what Abraham believes? I know what Abraham believes. Do I believe what he believes? Here's what happens next. Verse 10. The servant took 10 of his master's camels with all kinds of his master's goods at hand, and he went to Aram Naharam, to Nahor's town. At evening, the time when women went to draw water from the well, or to draw water, he made the camels kneel down beside the well outside of town. Listen to this man's prayer. This is how you can tell he's still wrestling with what he really believes about God. Lord, God of my master, Abraham, he prayed, make this happen for me today and show kindness to my master, Abraham. I'm standing here at the spring where the daughters of the men of town are coming out to draw water. Let the girl to whom I say, please lower your water jug so that I may drink. And who responds, drink and I will water your camels also. Let her be the one you have chosen or you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And here's, here's the key. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Abraham is convinced this is all going to work out. I'm not so sure it's all going to work out. So God, I'm going to place a challenge here. I'm going to the place in the region where women go in the cool of the day with water pots to go get water for the family. I'm going to show up there and I'm going to wait for a, get this guys, a very specific type of woman. Most of the ladies in town are going to show up in the cool of the day. I'm going to the place where these young eligible women are showing up and I'm going to ask a woman a very simple question. Would you give me a drink of water? But this isn't the test, God. The test of faith is this. If she's a certain kind of woman, she will not only give me a little bit of drink, but she will go above and beyond. She will go and take it into her own initiative to lower her jars and to water my animals. And by the way, there's a big party with Abraham, uh, with the servant, other men, other camels. This is a lot of work. So he is looking for, get this, a servant, guys. Ladies, lean in here. Nowhere in this chapter does he say, God, I love my master Abraham. I want the best kind of wife for my master Isaac. So would you give me a woman with a narrow waist and with a really beautiful face? He doesn't ask that. He asks for a very specific woman. And it's probably because he knows I need a woman with a beautiful heart. All of that pound of makeup that she puts on, all of that jewelry, all of that junk, it may just be hiding something really ugly inside of her. I want to see somebody that's really beautiful on the inside. And if she's beautiful on the inside, it will be a great marriage between her and Isaac. So God, I know what it means to serve. I know what it feels like to go get water for somebody else from the well. I'm going to show up at the well when people are getting water. But many of those ladies are not going to do what I'm going to ask of you, God. Would you show me a woman that's not only going to give me something to drink, 
but she will prove that she is a lovely woman by the way that she serves. That's the kind of woman that I want Isaac to marry. Abraham didn't give him any of these instructions. The servant is the one who came up with this. And Abraham knows, or the servant believes, there's no guarantee that I'm even going to find the right family, let alone find an eligible woman. And now I'm going to ratchet it up, God. I'm going to make this even harder for you. You give me not just the right family and an eligible woman, but you give me a woman with the right kind of heart. That's what he's really praying. He's laying a test of faith before God. And I think this is not just for Isaac. I think this is for him. Because he starts his prayer out by saying, God, you are the God of Abraham. And I've heard Abraham pray to you. And there is no question in my mind what Abraham believes about you. But I'm still not quite sure what I believe about you, God. So would you do this for me? Would you do this for Abraham and Isaac? And if you will do this for me, this is what he says, literally, now I will know if these things happen, I will know that this faith is real if you will do this for me. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with being placed in this challenging moment where your faith is tested. You see, most people on the planet, I'm like this, chances are you are too. We naturally want comfort. We want convenience. We tend to gravitate towards security. And as a result, we tend to live our lives in such a way that God never ever has to show up, never ever has to meet a need because we've orchestrated our control of our events so that there is no need for, the, for there to be a supernatural God in your life. And I think there's a few times in life where God says, listen, that comfort, that com convenience, that let's just be real, y'all, that you're worshiping, that won't give you the rock-solid kind of faith that you're going to need. So he allows these. Get this. He doesn't do it to you because he's mad at you. It's not because he hates you. He allows certain moments in your life where you've given everything that you've got to this marriage, and it's still falling apart where you have prayed and you have begged God to heal your grandmother or your father from cancer and they're drawing their last breath in the hospital room, where you have given everything to your career, all of your blood, your sweat, and your tears, and it's drifting between your fingers like sand and it's falling apart and you're saying, I don't get it, God. It doesn't make sense and I don't like what I'm going through. And I'm convinced God lets those things happen because your comfort, your convenience, your safety, your security can never give you the kind of faith that those few tests of faith are going to give you. Those tests are extremely important because those are the things that push you in the back when you really don't even want it to decide, no longer is this my mom and daddy's faith. Now I have to figure out what I believe. And I'm talking specifically to the people who have walked away from Jesus because I prayed for my marriage. And Jesus, you didn't give me what I prayed for. I prayed for my grandmother, who's 89 years old, to be healed of cancer, and she died anyway. I prayed for my boss to treat me the way that I, that I deserve to be treated, and you didn't give it to me. And so I'm walking away because this thing doesn't work. And I'm talking to the person who rubbed the lamp and asked the genie 
but they didn't get what they were asking for, and all of a sudden, their faith is fundamentally falling apart right in front of them because their faith was never built on a supernatural God who will take you through the dark valleys and the shadows of death, not take you around them to avoid them completely. I need you to remember this, church. When you face the test tomorrow or next week or in 2024, I need you to remember what it felt like to be this servant who says, I don't even know if I believe this, but I'm about to get on camels and I'm about to go a very long distance. I don't know what it feels like, but I got to imagine riding camels over days and weeks is no fun. And I don't even know if it's going to work out when I get there. And this is the moment where he takes the first step. And the first step always has to be a step into the unknown. And when you take the step, Jesus meets you there, but only when you take that first step. See, it starts with borrowed faith, and then it, you take that step, and that's when it starts to become your faith. It's no longer a preacher's faith. It's no longer your co-worker's faith. It's no longer mom and daddy's faith. Now is the moment where this starts to become your faith, and faith isn't real if there is no actions to follow it up. Faith isn't real that doesn't step into the unknown. What I'm trying to say is facts alone, just because you are willing to accept a set of facts that mama and daddy accept, that is not biblical faith. Biblical faith says, I not only accept it, but I'm willing to step out on it. Faith, acts, facts alone are not faith. And look at the actions that you see next from this guy. I mean, look at what, frankly, let me just be real for a second. God is showing off now. That's what he does next. Look at what God does next when he shows off. Before this servant had even finished speaking, literally before the guy said amen, there was Rebecca, daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. She's coming with a water jug, a jug on her shoulders, and now the girl was very beautiful. She's eligible. The Bible wants you to know this. She is beautiful, but more importantly, she's a virgin, eligible to be married. This girl is very beautiful, a virgin. No man had been intimate with her, and she went down to the spring to fill the water jug and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please, let me have a little drink of water from your jug. It's what I said I was going to ask, God. And so she replied, drink, my Lord. She quickly lowered her jug. Look at this. And she gave him water from her hand to drink. She fed this foreigner, this total stranger from her hand. And she lowered her jug and she lowered her jug to her hand and gave him to drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water also for your camels until they've had enough to drink. Now, I'm certain at this point, this guy's mind is blown. Watch what happens next. She quickly emptied her jug into the trough and hurried to the well. This is hard work, y'all. She hurried to the well to draw water again. She drew the water for all his camels while the man silently watched her to see whether or not the Lord had made his journey a success. At this point, I don't know who this girl is, but she is doing everything that I've just prayed about. And as the camels finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and for her wrists, two bracelets weighing 10 shekels of gold, a ton of money. 
and placed it on her, and he said, whose daughter are you? He asked, and please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she answered to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She also said to him, we have plenty of straw and feed to, uh, and a place to spend the night. And then the man, look at this, this is awesome, knelt low and worshiped God and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham who has not withheld his kindness and faithfulness from my master. As for me, the Lord has, here's when it becomes his. The Lord has led me on this journey to the house of my master's relatives. I want to ask you a simple question. At this point, is there any doubt whatsoever in this guy's mind that God is real? Is there any doubt whatsoever that God is with him and in Abraham's language, God is sending his Holy Spirit, his angel ahead of him to make his journey a success? Does this guy have any doubt at this point? No, because I am a foreigner. I just went to a place that I have no idea anything about. I go to a very specific well. I ask for a very specific prayer request. I ask for a very specific person to answer that prayer. And I don't even say amen. And Rebecca shows up. And when Rebecca shows up, she is eligible. She's the perfect bride for Isaac. She is from Abraham's family. And I just need to know, well, her family let her go. Now, this man left Abraham with a ton of money on those camels. Because in Abraham's day, the groom's father paid a dowry for a bride. And the more beautiful, the more expensive the bride, the more expensive the dowry. So this guy has an entourage of men with him and a bunch of camels, and he's looking for this very specific woman. He doesn't even say amen before she answers to a T everything that he prays. And now this isn't about Abraham's God anymore. Now this is about my God because now he is worshiping him. He watched to see all of this because I still don't know what family she's from. She's just checked off all of the boxes. But Abraham said, I got to go take a wife from his family. What if she's not from his family? I still got work to do. And that's why the first thing that he asks is, where do you live? And who are your parents? And do you have room? Because now I need to go negotiate a business deal. And I want to ask you just to, real quickly, ladies, just be real for a second. Guy shows up at your front door with a bunch of camels and a whole lot of money and says, I want you to leave your family, leave everything that you own. I want you to get on these camels with me, and I want you to go for days into the desert, and it will be awesome. Are you going to get on those camels? Let's just remember, Rebecca is now being placed in a position where her faith is being tested, not just this servant's. Lots of people are borrowing somebody else's faith at this point. The servant has borrowed Abraham's faith until it becomes his faith when he takes that first step. And now the servant is asking Rebecca, would you borrow my faith? Would you be willing to take not just one step, but a whole lot of steps into the unknown? Would you be willing to go and to marry Isaac and spend the rest of your life in a foreign land separated from your family? This is a massive test of faith. And all of us have this moment where you have to decide, do I really believe 
what somebody else told me they believe. In just a few weeks, it will be 40 years to the day that King Jesus stepped in and radically changed my soul. And that moment would have never happened. I was as far away from Jesus as you could possibly get because there was zero people in my life who could answer questions for me about Jesus. And Jesus loved me enough that he sent my next door neighbors to develop a relationship with me. He sent those neighbors to sit down at my dining room table and start to talk to me and introduce me to Jesus. And I'll never forget when they were talking to me, I remember thinking, I know these people care about me and I understand what they're saying. I'm just not sure I buy it. I'm not sure I really believe what they're telling me. And they left. And they went back across the hall that night to their room or to their apartment and I laid in my bedroom and that's the moment that faith became very, very real to me personally. Because that was the moment I had to decide, do I really believe personally what they believe? I believe them, they are trustworthy people. I understand the facts that they're telling me. I'm borrowing for just a moment what they believe, but do I really believe it? And here it is, y'all. Am I ready to risk eternity on it? And all of us, every human being on the planet has to get to that point. And when you step across that line, listen to me, that's the moment that you have faith that other people can start to lean on. That's the moment that your faith starts to be the kind of faith that you can loan to others. And this is a non-negotiable for God's people. When Jesus called people, he said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Your job is to first figure out what you believe, take the step of faith and believe on it, and then start to help others do the same thing that somebody helped you do. Let's Continue the story. The girl ran to her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and this joker is going to show up a lot in the rest of, of Genesis. And Laban ran out to meet the man because this man is loaded and Laban cares a lot about money. Spoiler alert. Laban ran out to meet the man at the spring, and as soon as he had seen the ring and the bracelet on his sister's wrists, and when he had heard his sister Rebecca's words, the man said this to me. He went to the man and, who was standing there by the camels at the spring, and Laban said, come, you who are blessed by the Lord, why are you standing out here? I have prepared a house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and feed were given to the camels and water was given to wash his feet and the feet of the men with them. This is a huge party, lots of animals, lots of people. And a meal was set before him. And he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. So Laban said, speak, please. I am Abraham's servant, he said. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become rich. He has given, he, God has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female slaves, and camels and donkeys. Sarah, my master's wife, has borne a son to my master in their old age, and he has given him everything he owns. Isaac is a very, very rich man when Abraham dies. My master put me under an oath. 
You will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but you will go to my father's family and to my clan and take a wife for my son. But I said to my master, suppose the woman will not come back with me. And he said, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and make your journey a success. And you will take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's family. And then you will be free from my oath. If you go to my family and they don't give her to you, you will be free from my oath. Today, then, I came to the spring and I prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, if only you will make my journey successful. I am standing here at the spring. Let a young woman who comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please give me a drink of water from your jug. And who responds to me, drink, and I will also draw water for your camels also. Let her be the woman the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had even said amen, before I finished praying silently, there was Rebecca coming with her jug on her shoulder. And she went down to the spring and drew water. So I said to her, please, let me have a little water to drink. She quickly lowered her jug from her shoulders and said, drink, and I'll water your camels also. So I drank, and she also watered the camels. And then I asked her, whose daughter are you? And she responded, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put a ring on her nose and bracelets on her wrist. And then I knelt low and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who guided me on the right way to take the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. And here it is. Now, if you're going to show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me, and I will go elsewhere. He's asking the question, will you give Rebecca to leave everything that she knows and everything that she loves and follow me into the desert? All of the riches on these camels are yours as a dowry if you'll send Rebecca away. What happens next? you got to show up next week for the rest of the answer. You see, the first half of this whole chapter is a question about, is this God real? This God that Abraham believes in. I know Abraham believes it, and I know that Abraham is a trustworthy God. I've heard Abraham talk about it, but do I really believe what Abraham believes? And now Rebecca, get this, is being asked to borrow some of Abraham's faith. The servant has already borrowed it, and now Abraham's faith is the servant's faith. And now what this servant is asking is, Rebecca, do you trust God enough to get on those camels and go into the desert with me? Because you may never, ever see your family again, but if you trust him, God will be with you on those camels. Rebecca, do you believe in the God of Abraham? See how this beautiful journey of faith is now impacting other people? Listen, y'all. I was having a conversation 2003 in Afghanistan with a guy who was talking to me about his faith. He described himself as spiritual. And I asked him, well, what do you really believe? And immediately he started telling me the way that he was raised. And he could perfectly describe for me what his mama and daddy believed. And I said, stop. I didn't ask you what your mama and daddy believe. I asked you what you believe. And when I asked him that question, he couldn't really answer it. 
And what I said next really offended him. It really made him mad. I feel like I'm pretty good at that. I said, you are in a combat zone. People are dying around you every day, and you're not absolutely sure what you believe. Are you stupid? Why would you do that? You're acting like a child. That's what got him mad. Because I said, a child starts off borrowing mama and daddy's faith. You don't even become an adolescent. You haven't even hit your teenage years in the journey of faith until you decide, do I believe what mama and daddy believed? And here's what I want everybody to hear from me. It doesn't stop there. You become an adult when you decide, why do I believe it? I know what Abraham believes. I even think that I believe what Abraham believes. But do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt why you believe it? And if you can't say yes to that question, you still got some work to do. And this is what I was telling that guy. You haven't even reached spiritual adulthood until you know exactly what you believe and you know why you believe it. You're acting like a child telling me what your mama and daddy believe. And I'm glad you know what your mama and daddy believe. That's just not going to get you into heaven. You have to figure out what you believe, and it cannot stop there. You have to decide why you believe it. And when you've got to that point, now it's time to start showing it and saying it to other people. So I want to throw a challenge in front of you, church. Maybe somebody is realizing, "Uh uh-oh, I'm still borrowing somebody else's faith. Like, I need to nail this one down, and I need to nail it down right now. If that's you in just a second, I'm going to say a prayer for you. And maybe today is the day that you take this step. And if you'll take a step into the darkness, I promise you, I would give you, I would bet my life on it. If you take a step into the darkness and you really mean it, Jesus will meet you there. So I'm going to pray for you in just a second. But for some of you, you're saying, I believe it. I kind of know why I believe it, but I'm really struggling with the test of my faith. I'm really struggling walking it out and living it this week. And that's why God wants you to be around other brothers and sisters in the faith. That's why we want you to be in a life group so that you can borrow when it's really hard somebody else's faith for just a little bit when it's really tough and then your faith gets stronger and somebody can borrow your faith when it's tough for them. I'm gonna pray for you too, but for everyone in this room that says, I know it and I know why I know it. My challenge in 2024, Two Cities Church's challenge for you is Would you go out and say it and show it to your city? Would you do that with somebody this week? Bow your heads and I'll say a prayer for us. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.